Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast by and for trial lawyers looking for better ways to serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith, and I'm here with Amy Gunn. Hi, Amy. Hi, how are you? I'm very good. Why don't you give me a couple highlights of your career? What, what, what you've been doing with your law career? <laughs> it's a little difficult to highlight it like that, but I think if I had to, to boil it down, I would say that I've spent 20 plus years committed to the idea that my job is to solve other people's problems whether it was when I did defense work for the first five or so years or for the past 17 so years representing plaintiffs in personal injury lawsuits. I take my job as an attorney advocate counselor very seriously. And I know that when people come to me or our firm, it's because they have some serious issues that need to be resolved. And I consider it my job to do that in the most efficient and caring manner that I can. Let's get down in the weeds a little bit more. What kind of cases do you handle now? I've got a variety, all personal injury. I think that my reputation in the St. Louis community and in, in Missouri is really for medical malpractice litigation. I also, however, have an additional area of law that I practice in, in what's known as mass torts. So that is where there are numerous and sundry lawsuits pending against manufacturers of medical devices and drugs, where I represent plaintiffs in those cases as well. So I've got, and that's a national practice. So I, I have more of a regional uh, practice, largely in medical malpractice, and then a larger national practice in mass torts. A lot of people use the term work-life balance. I know that's, you know. I hate that. It's, uh, so tell, tell me what your thoughts I don't, are on I have not found a better term for it. But the reason I don't, the reason I hate that is because it presumes that it doesn't exist. It, it presumes that it's a mountain to climb, that you can't just live your life in balance just the mention of it means we're deficient in some way. And so that's why it bothers me because I believe that if you're diligent, I don't know if that's even the right word, but I I believe if you just trust yourself and try to do the right thing in the moment, most of the time it's going to be fine. And it's also about communication. And I have a story on that communication issue. So this was a case, it, it involves a trial from about five years ago. It was in St. Louis County. It was a a medical malpractice case that was going to go into the second week. And my children were in still in elementary school, I think first and fourth grade. So it was a number of years ago. And I, my husband was going to be out of town on business. So lesson number one is you can't be afraid to ask for help. We are lucky enough in our lives to have family nearby, but also We have a woman who was very instrumental in helping us with our children, both at the daycare and thereafter. And so we asked her, I said, can you just come, can you just stay at our house for these few days and take the kids to school? And and then she would go to work and then come back, and she said yes. So I'm working all weekend. Kevin, my husband, goes to his meeting. We are... Uh, first day of trial, second day of trial, third day of trial. And, of course, trial is 24-7. I mean, 
especially when you're in your case. And since I represent plaintiffs, we go first. So every night is prepping a witness or preparing yourself for your opening or your voir dire or whatever it is. I mean, it is all the time. And on Thursday of that first week, we were still in our case. Kevin was still out of town and our caregiver could not stay Thursday night. So I thought, oh, no problem. The kids had aftercare um, at school until 6. Luckily, I was in St. Louis County, which was just a few miles away from their school. No problem. Well, at 4.30, at a time that I expected the court to say, we'll adjourn for the day, the court says, we'll take one more witness. So you don't say, nah, judge, I got other things to do. You say, yes, ma'am. In the courtroom was a law clerk for our firm that was watching. And we did take a break in between witnesses, took a short break. And I went to her and I said, I need you to pick up my children from, <laughs> from aftercare. And she was a good sport. And she said, okay. I texted the aftercare lady. I said, this nice blonde is going to come pick up, not me, it's going to come pick up the boys. And I asked the law clerk, just go to school, pick them up and bring them back to the courtroom. Because by the time that happens, I think we'll be done. Um, and then she left. Witness comes on, and you cross-examine the witness, right? It's just part of your day. And when she comes back with the boys, and in St. Louis County, the trial doors opening into the courtroom have little windows, so it's the end of the day, the witness is finishing, I'm kind of turning around to the back of the courtroom, and I see my little guy's head popping up, popping up through the window, like looking in, seeing what's going on. I'm like, oh, this is the collision of life and work. And we get done, the, the jury's out, the court leaves the bench, and the boys just come in. And in my moment of, I can't believe these are the choices that I've made, and here I am in my life, feeling really um, uncomfortable with that, the boys were amazed. They're wide-eyed because this is where you work? That was their question. Mom, this is where you work? And I said, well, you know, sometimes it is. Because they'd been to my office before, but this was the courtroom was a new experience. And I said, yes. And they just thought that was the coolest thing. And all of a sudden, my anxiety about the whole thing just resolved. And the lesson to me was, it's okay. It is okay sometimes to have someone else, a complete stranger to them, pick up your children. (laughs) (laughs) Because, I mean, obviously someone I think you should know, but I mean, okay, every circumstance is different. Because at the end, they were so I don't impressed isn't the right word, but they were so interested in that. And they said, Mom, what kind of case do you have? In the case I was actually representing children of a mom who had passed away due to, in my opinion, medical negligence. And I told them the story. And they were just so accepting of that. And like I said, first and fourth grade. They were so accepting of that, and in the, and what I was doing was important to those children. And they were willing to accept that. They were willing to share my time, if you will, um, because of the importance of that. So never underestimate your children's ability 
to understand and accept what you're doing. I don't, I've never shied away from telling them what I do for a living. I've always been very proud of what I do for a living. Don't underestimate what they can understand and what they can accept. They know that in that situation, I was, I'd been away from home, really what it felt like to them, I'm sure weeks, even though I was physically home every night, but it was usually after they went to sleep. And they were just like, okay, we get it. They, they get it. And I had actually said to them before the trial started, you know, kids, things are going to run off the rails here for a few days. I mean, they really are. Things aren't going to be normal. And, but we're going to get them back on. So communicating with them what you're going to do, what you are doing, inviting them in to a certain extent is really has been, in my experience, has been the best thing to do. And I just will never forget that look. And they're just wide-eyed. And man, did I feel important. Did I feel important just then? Which I wasn't feeling very important at all up to that point. And not that it's the most significant thing to feel. But when you see that pride in your children's eyes, there's just no forgetting that. There's just no, that is such a significant permanent feeling that it really made a difference to me. It, it really changed the way I felt about, and also changed the way I felt about ever having guilt. You can't stop yourself from having guilt, but I kind of just go back to that idea that I make good, I, I try to make very good choices. They're not always everyone else's first choice, but I try really hard to make good choices. That reminds me, I, I took my two daughters when they were four and six to Hannibal to argue a motion. I thought it would exactly. be a 10-minute motion. <laughs> and they were sitting in the back. I put them in the courtroom. Love and I, I let them you know, draw pictures in the back. As the motion went on and on, it, was, it got more and more complex. And as it got to be a half an hour and 45 minutes, an hour, I started thinking, I hope they, I hope they don't. <laughs> are they like, still back there? Dad, <laughs> why are you taking so long right. up there? Or, you know, they, they, held, they held it in check. But it, I had the same, same thought that they, they saw what I do. They didn't have this glorious idea. Of, they, they, they said, oh, what you do is you just talk and yeah. talk. <laughs> true. Yeah, that's true. But, it, but it's cool because they saw the courtroom, and you can talk about a courtroom all you want, but sitting in it, there's, there's a grandeur to many of these courtrooms yes. or a mystique about them. Right. And it's pretty cool for your kids to, to see that. And I think that it's important to include them in your journey. Yeah, and, that, and that, to me, goes to the balance of things. If you're all in the same place, not physically, but if you're all in the same place with your communication and where am I going and why am I going there, they get it. Kids are very forgiving of your time. And I always just go back to trust yourself and trust that you're making good decisions, very deliberate, thoughtful decisions. And if you are, everything's going to be fine. Let me shift the topic to your calendar and scheduling. It seems like sometimes to me that's all I do during a day. And I, I use my calendar of course, like you do, I'm sure, to, to indicate that you need to be somewhere for a meeting, for a pretrial conference. You, you physically need to be somewhere. I also use it to indicate what's due to be filed on that day. But I do something that I don't know if others do this. I remind myself and nag myself about, or am I making progress on a thing that's not due? But could you share what how you use your calendar? I think all of the above probably less so on the 
nagging myself, but I kind of like the idea. I, I just sent myself an email this or a calendar a week from now. I sent an email to an opposing counsel, and I said, as we discussed, this is what you're looking for for me. It's a discovery issue. And I calendared a week from now to follow up if I don't get a response. Just a little gentle reminder, because otherwise I'll forget that I even asked, because it's just an email that goes out. I moved the email into the, the file folder so it's there, so I can when I read the reminder next week, I'll be like, why was I reminding myself to email that person? And I can, I'll have to you know, back into it. But I definitely put all actual appointments on there. My husband and I joke about this. I think Outlook calendar saved our marriage. And it's because when the boys were little, somebody had to pick them up every night. Someone had to take them every day. And we would have, my husband's very busy as well. We would talk about, oh, Wednesday night, I, I have to work late. And he'd say, well, Wednesday night, I'm in San Antonio. I'm like, oh. We've, so we said, look, anything that is on the calendar that is after hours, Anywhere, if it starts at five or begins before eight in your life, we have to calendar each other. And so when I have out-of-town travel, Donna knows to calendar Kevin. If he has out-of-town travel, he calendars me. So we know if I have a meeting that's going or a deposition that starts at four o'clock, that's going to go till seven, Kevin gets calendared. Because we would fight all the time. He would say, I told you about this. And I say... No, you didn't. And he would spend an hour looking for the email. He would, <laughs> by God, find that email and say, I told you in an email. So now we're like, okay, fine. It has to be calendared. And that has really helped a lot. But the same is true, you know, for yourself to remember not only meetings and, and due dates for court things, but I will also say I need to follow up with so-and-so if I haven't heard from them. Because otherwise that, that falls through the cracks and... You know, you're just a month later, you're like, what happened with that? Oh, yeah, nothing. It's, it's for me often, if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't exist. Right. If you, if you say, I'm going to remember that, you won't. No, I don't remember anything. My husband and I look at the calendar all the time and say, when are we going to have our next vacation? Because that's another one of my tricks. Like, if I don't have something to look forward to, I'm miserable, even if it's a year from now. So, if, and if it's not on the calendar, it, something's going to get scheduled. So, I will pick a week or spring break or whatever it is. And I'll calendar it a year out because that way my staff knows. And that way I know I remember. So I don't set a trial on it or significant events, because if you don't calendar it, the space will get filled. And then you're like, well, that's really important. So I guess we won't go on vacation that week. No, you have to prioritize that. And if it's on the calendar, people respect it. The court will say, I will say, oh, that's my family vacation, and we move on to the next week. So it's you have to know it and respect it, and, and it'll get done. Let's say you go to work one day where there's no meetings on the calendar. There's, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> this, this is a hypothetical. Oh, okay. You, you, you go, there's one day where, it, actually, the meeting canceled. Let's okay. Oh, that's a good day. Okay. So uh, you sit down, and how do you decide what the next right thing to do is is there, is there what, what's your thought oh. I just look at my email and what's still in the inbox for my email and I start at the oldest one and I look at it and I say can I accomplish that and sometimes I'm like yes I can do it or otherwise I'm like nah, just move to the next oldest one and if I make it through email 
Then I look to my inbox, my physical inbox. Now, like I said, I know everything that's on my desk. I know what's on my desk, but, and I know generally when I have to do something on it. And I will sometimes, if I'm feeling really enthusiastic, I'll pick the bottom of the inbox and I'll pull it out. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. I'll do something on this. Because normally it's just what's on top. Because again, I have to know what's in there to be able to triage and prioritize. So on really good days, I will encounter something at the bottom of the inbox and get that done. And those are days that you feel really good about yourself. They are few and far between, <laughs> but oftentimes you can, you can feel good about that. How do you know when a task is complete? And what I'm, what I'm really thinking about is you could always put another hour into preparing for trial or another oh. period of time into preparing, preparing for deposition. And sometimes you do put that extra two hours in and it's almost completely unproductive, but there is that one good question or two good questions that you thought of. It's this asymptotic, like declining to almost zero rate of being productive. But how do you cut it off? And what, what's your thought process about that? I'm always up to the wire. I am always racing to the deposition or running down the hallway or, I mean, always. So it depends on when you start. And I will try to get a handle on, let's say it's a big deposition. I'll try to get a handle on the topics and the issues, the goals, before obviously before it starts. <laughs> but like I said before, if I've done my job all along, I have a good solid set of medical records. And again, I keep going back to medical records because a lot of my cases are med mal and that's where the answers are. If I have already done my job up to, let's say taking the defendant doctor's deposition, previous to that, I have investigated the case, I've hired an expert, I've drafted a petition or had or reviewed uh, reviewed a petition that's been drafted, um, communicated with my client, my client's probably been deposed, gathered all the medical records, reviewed them in some way, put them together in an ACG copy, and I really shouldn't have to spend all that long getting ready for the defendant doctor's deposition because I already know the facts. I know the timeline. I know what my case is about. I know what my expert has said. I laugh sometimes because I took a cardiologist's deposition, I don't know, some, a few months ago. And the afternoon before, I started just learning cardiology. <laughs> and in the deposition, I had used a term that was not pronounced correctly. And the doctor corrected me. I'm like, okay, doc, I appreciate that. I just started, I just taught myself cardiology yesterday afternoon. So please forgive me. <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> and it was true. Like I thought I was holding my own with this guy and I was for the most part. But to answer the question, I have no idea how much is enough. I don't think there's ever enough. But like I said, I, I hope that up to the point that the deposition begins, I have at least I have a good base of understanding of what the facts are. Can I also, can I learn more about cardiology? Of course I can. But as you say, what if I, I mean, what am I really learning? I don't even really know what I'm learning. I'm just looking at medical records, trying to make sure I understand defined terms and, and anatomy and things like that. We all could do more. With more time, it's like having a purse. If you have a big purse, you're going to put more stuff in it. 
If you have a small purse, you're going to be more efficient with what you put in it. It's the same thing with time to prepare. If I give myself a full day, I'm going to use that full day. But am I really, is everything that I'm doing that day going to be beneficial? I don't know. It's hard to say. If I give myself three hours, man, I am going to be efficiently learning whatever it is. I'm cramming it in. It may not stay for more than five minutes after the deposition ends, but I'm going to know it for that time because it's also a little adrenaline. It's also a little fear. I'm not going to walk into this doctor, this neurosurgeon's deposition and not understand a little bit about what I'm going to say. I need that person to respect that I've at least learned the facts. And what I always say about doctors and, and other experts is they will likely, <laughs> likely know more about the medicine than me, but they will not know more about the facts than me. And that's oftentimes how you get anywhere in those types of depositions because that person has not prepared enough on the facts. So that's how I look at it. I like to shift gears to interruptions. I've seen stats that say if you're in flow, if you're really focused on a topic and you're interrupted, it might take you up to 15, 20 minutes to get back into the, you know, efficient mode. And so my question to you is, how do you deal with interruptions? Uh, people coming into the office to say something important, perhaps? I will sometimes not come to work because that's where the distractions are. The phone is ringing. People are in your office. You're compelled to read every email that pops up. So I will. And, and now, with my children being older, I can have quiet time at home. They are at school. So if I have a deposition that starts at 1 p.m., I'm going to stay home that morning and prepare for it versus coming into the office because there's also drive time. I'm not going if the if the depositions in St. Louis County, I'm not coming all the way downtown. I'm going to waste an hour in the car. No, not very efficient. So I'm going to make sure I have everything I need when I leave the night from the office the night before. And in the morning, I'm going to probably, of course, check my email, triage that kind of thing, and then put it aside. And then just cram, just like you're cramming for an exam. I tell my kids, I'm doing my homework. I've got homework tonight. I'm going to do my homework. And then I love it. I mean, I really love the uninterrupted time to learn things. That's one of the things I love about this job and this profession is I get to teach myself cardiology in the afternoon or learn mechanical engineering for a day and pretend like I know what I'm talking about. And sometimes I look like I know what I'm talking about. I act like I know what I'm talking about. But that's part of the perception of it. I was going to ask you about how you prepare for trial, which sounds like a, you know, week-long lecture. <laughs> but maybe just to talk about a couple of efficiencies. I, I, how, how do you get going? To me, it starts with sitting with my team and delegating. So we will have, we've got a trial set for the end of January. And part of our team meeting we're having later today is going to be trial prep for that case. And just knowing what's out there to be done is important. So we will we'll talk about that, and then we'll do an order of proof. Okay, on Monday, we're going to voir dire. On Tuesday, we're going to open and put on our expert. On Wednesday, we're going to have another expert, a treating physician, and maybe have our client. And then the next day, and I set it out. So if I can visualize what's going to happen and when it's going to happen, then I am able to put all the little ducks in a row about how it's going to, how I'm going to get ready for it to happen. And I will say, okay, you're in charge of motions and lemonade, and here's 
what I need you to do on that. You're in charge of making sure the exhibits are in order. Please get started on that. You're in charge of making sure that um, all the depositions and all the exhibits are here and available. If not, you know, call the court reporter and get those. And again, efficiency includes delegation. And if you have a team that you trust, that you've taught how you like to do things, it's really not that stressful. I mean, anything, fear of being in front of a jury or opposing counsel or a judge or your clients and not knowing something is, is terrible. I mean, that's a fear, but it's, it is a compelling fear. It makes you be prepared. And knowing what, I know what I have to do. I know what I'm going to be assigned to, what I'm going to be in charge of. And that's what I'll focus on. And I know whatever the other people were going to be in charge of, and I trust that they're going to be focused on that and in charge of that and get that done. We're closing up this podcast because I know you're preparing for trial because you're always preparing for trial. (laughs) Every day. (laughs) So so for those who are listening who want to hear more about your thoughts about how to be a trial lawyer or, you know, all all the other aspects that, that stem from that, this conversation could go on for a long, long time. You have your own podcast. Could you could you say a bit about what you do on your podcast? So the women of the Simon Law Firm have a podcast, Heels in the Courtroom, where we talk about a number of topics, both related to being trial attorneys and also being related to women in the legal profession. We sort of bounce back and forth between those two broad topics, and it's just a lot of fun. It's therapy for me to sit with women that do the same work that I do have similar stresses, similar daily lives. And it's just a great way to connect with each other. Great. I hope people check that out too. I do too. And uh, thanks for being with us. Thank you. So that'll be it for today's episode. The jury is out. I'm Eric Feith with Amy Gunn. We'll see you next time. Thank you. John and Eric would like to hear from you. They invite you to email your comments and suggestions to comments at thejuryisout.law. To learn more about the dedicated trial lawyers of the Simon Law Firm, visit simonlawpc.com.